Happy Tuesday! My name's Nick, and today I'm flying solo, as Big Al is feeling a little under the weather. But we didn't want to leave you lovely people without an episode this week, and so today we have something a little different. Today we'll be going a little further along the Sword Coast, and finding out what effects Shrew's shrubberies and his adventures may have had on the wider plot of the Dragon of Icebire Peak. And so without further ado, I welcome you into the dungeon. <laughs> today's episode, we find ourselves in a cold winter's evening, as the sun dips below the horizon, opposite the tall and imposing thunder cliffs. These are found along the Sword Coast, approximately halfway between the Mere of Dead Men and the City of Neverwinter. The thunder cliffs were named by the people in the area for the sounds that the surf makes as it crashes into this high bluff overlooking the Sea of Swords. The caves at the base of the thunder cliffs were once a haven for pirates, smugglers, and legitimate seafaring vessels looking for a safe place to wait out coastal storms. The shore there is inaccessible, except by sea, making it the perfect haven for sea travellers. Their craggy, dark silhouettes jut out defiantly against the dimming sky. These sheer cliffs, renowned for their rugged beauty and treacherous nature, a place where the sea meets the land with an unyielding clash of the elements. Standing at the cliff's edge, one could feel the frigid bite of the winter air, a crisp, biting coldness that stings the cheeks and makes each breath visible in the fading light. The scent of salt hangs thick in the air, mingling with the earthy aroma of seaweed and the faint hint of briny fish, reminding any onlookers of the relentless power of the sea. As twilight descends, the distant crash of waves grow louder, a ceaseless roar that resonates through the very bones of the earth. The sea is in an uproar, its relentless assault on the cliffs sending plumes of white spray high into the darkening sky. It's a cacophony of nature's fury, a symphony of crashing waves, a reminder of the untamed, wild beauty that surrounds this desolate place. But amid this tempestuous display of nature's might, the skeletal remains of a once proud ship lays half buried in the rocky shoreline, its splintered timbers and torn sails serving as a haunting testament to the unforgiving power of the cliffs and the sea. The ship leans against a ledge upon which a handful of workers offload crates, boxes, and barrels from the ship. They grumble and grouse about this menial labour, agreeing amongst them that they did not seek the power of the Storm Lord to be faced into playing the part of glorified longshoremen. The shipwreck seems almost frozen in time, trapped in its final desperate moments, a solemn and eerie reminder of the perils that sailors face when sailing these treacherous waters. Flying from its mast is a wind-tattered flag depicting the holy symbol of Talus, the three bolts of lightning that our heroes true shrubberies have now become all too familiar with across their adventures. The bitter wind whispers secrets of the past as it whistles through the twisted wreckage, sending shivers down the spine of anyone who dares venture closer. The sense of melancholy and loss is palpable, as if the very essence of the ill-fated crew still clings to the shattered remnants of their vessel. As the darkness now deepens, the thundercliffs loom even larger, a foreboding presence against the night sky. It seems a place of raw, elemental power, where the forces of nature clash in a never-ending battle, 
and where the remnants of a tragic voyage serves as a solemn reminder of the perilous beauty that can be found along the salt coast. To the southeast of this shipwreck, a sinister cave lies hidden, its entrance concealed by the jagged rocks that frame the turbulent sea, and flooded by the constant and thunderous roars of the waves and surf which relentlessly assault it. In order to access this cave, a creature must swim through a submerged tongue teeming with odd and terrifying looking fish, with strange glowing eyes and large teeth. The cave itself is a malevolent abyss, its walls glistening with dampness and echoes of mournful whispers. A place where lost souls meet their dreadful fate, and also a refuge for three sisters known throughout these treacherous waters as the Sea Hags of the Thundercliffs. The entrance to this cave is an ominous jawed moor, which seems to swallow what little light the stars and moon offer on this cold winter's night. The cave then opens into a sprawling chamber, dimly lit by some torches and a small campfire. Piles of slimy seaweed litter the floor, acting as grotesque beds for three sisters were sprawled across them, their bony and wretched forms merging with their dank surroundings. Nana Poctus, the eldest of the trio, is a hag with long tangled hair as black as the abysmal depths. Her skin mottled with grotesque growths is like the leathery hide of some vile sea creature. She has a wicked glint in her eye, and her voice a cacophony of sinister laughter. Auntie Unk, the middle sister, has skin as pallid as a ghost, and her hair hangs in limp seaweed-like strands. Her fingers end in sharp, gnarled claws, and her eyes are milky white, betraying a cunning intellect that hides behind her eerie appearance. Granny Muyuk, the youngest of the three, but the most repugnant of them all. Her flesh bloated and warty, covered in greenish growths that ooze putrid liquid. She moves with a sickening, lurching gait, and has a penchant for cackling madly at the torments of her victims. And here in the depths of the cave, where the sisters keep their dreadful secrets hidden from the world, the grotesque results or their evil endeavours are seen dangling from the cavern ceiling. Flying skulls, with elongated stingers, their eye sockets glowing with a mysterious green light. These abominable creatures are the inedible remnants of sailors who had met their doom on these reefs and have been transformed into grotesque servants of the sea hags. Within this cave, nauseating stench of seaweed and decay assails the senses. The air is thick with a clammy, damp humidity. The eerie echoes of the sea hags' macabre feasting could be heard. The wet, sickening sounds of flesh being torn from bone mixing with a ghastly laughter. The sea hags rise from their beds and gather around a moss-covered stone table upon which lay the dismembered hands and feet of the unfortunate sailors who had fallen victim to them. As they begin to feast and gnaw on the grisly remains, their voices a twisted symphony of delight and malice. Nana Poctus cackles, the black teeth glistening in the eerie light. These cultists, they promised us an endless supply of fresh bodies in exchange for our help with their special problems. And yet it's been over a week since they brought us a morsel. Our mutual protection pack with them is most at risk. Auntie Unk nods in agreement, her milky eyes gleaming with frustration. And what of Moesco? That half-orc of Talus? He manned the Tower of Storms and lured ships to our doom with his green light. But he's been silent for days. I hear the light has gone out. Granny Muyuk, her warty fingers clutching a dripping hand, adds, 
If our supplies and Moesco don't return soon, our power over the seas will wane. We must take action to protect our sinister domain. <laughs> the cave echoes with their dark intentions as they continue to converse. The shadows seem to creep ever closer as the sea hags conspire to maintain the grip on the thundercliffs, even as uncertainty looms on the stormy horizon. Hidden away from the world above lies a larger cavern of generous proportions, a breathtaking chamber whose rocky floors descend into a wide, circular depression, forming a natural amphitheatre around its focal point. In the heart of this chamber, an extraordinary spectacle unfolds. A large rolling boil of water dominates the centre, its surface shimmering with an otherworldly radiance. Within the swirling turmoil of the water, a captivating half-elf is immersed in her watery retreat. This half-elf is a vision of ethereal beauty. Her long ebony hair cascades in wet tendrils down her back, glistening like strands of liquid onyx. Her almond-shaped emerald eyes sparkle with a mischievous glint, and her fair elven features bear a serene expression as she bathes in these enchanting waters. After a short while, she emerges from the pool. Droplets of crystalline water cling to her porcelain skin, accentuating her grace and allure. The lithe form, sculpted with elegant curves, and the play of light on her damp skin seems to paint her in a soft, celestial glow. With a graceful, fluid motion, she reaches for a nearby towel crafted from the finest of silk, and begins drying herself. Now wrapped in the sumptuous fabric, she reaches for a striking outfit as she drops the towel and begins to change into a robe seemingly woven from the depths of the ocean itself. The robe is a deep shade of blue, adorned with delicate patterns that mimic the ebb and flow of the waves, its hem bordered with intricate silver threads that sparkle like moonlight on water. She fastens it with a sapphire brooch in the shape of a crashing wave, a symbol of her devotion to the tempest's god, Talos. With a purposeful stride, the half-elf moves to a room on the right side of the cavern, a space she holds sacred, a private shrine. The walls of this inner sanctum are carved with images depicting the destructive power of Talos. Here storms rage, ships are torn asunder, and lightning bolts split the sky. The carvings seem to come alive with every flicker of the candlelight, capturing the wild and unpredictable nature of Talos's wrath. Within this room a faint echoing murmur of the ever-present waves crashing against the cliffs and the howling of the wind casts a soft song intertwined with the distant rumble of thunder as a storm brews nearby. The air carries the faint scent of damp earth, reminiscent of an impending storm. The walls exude a cool, almost electric energy, as if the very essence of Talos himself lingers in the chamber. The half-elf now stands before a carved limestone likeness of Talos in her private shrine. The flickering candlelight casting eerie shadows on the walls adorned with images of destructive tempests. She bows her head, her robe rustling softly as she kneels before the storm god's visage. O oh, great and mighty Talos, I come before you once more as your humble servant. I seek your guidance and of course your wrath. Her emerald eyes lock on the stone effigy as though it held the very essence of the god she worships. Her voice carrying a sense of fervor and reverence. She hesitates for a moment, her lips parting to form words as she speaks. Talos, hear my words. Sovendal, the one chosen by Faralai Stormsworn to aid me in your name, bears suspicions and watches me 
as if I were a danger to our followers. Her voice grew stronger as she expresses her frustration. <laughs> he believes that my devotion to you, the Stormlord, is madness, and that my zeal may endanger our followers. Even draw the eyes of Waterdeep's navy upon us. He persuaded Feralized Stormsworn to command my restraint, and I, in my eagerness to heed your will, obeyed. The half-elf pauses, her gaze piercing the stone eyes of the god before her. But, almighty Talus, in return for my years of unwavering devotion, I beseech you, grant me a boon this night, and curse Sovendal for his cowardly caution and for his undermining of your faithful servant. As a prayer reaches its zenith, the cavern seems to tremble. A sudden gust of wind ruffles through the edges of a robe, and the candle flames dance widely, casting a frenetic display of shadows upon the stormy carvings. It was as if the very elements themselves are responding to her plea. The deafening silence that follows, a whispering wind seems to echo through the chamber, carrying with it a sense of both approval and warning. The half-elf breaks a wry smile as she senses the presence of Talos enveloping her, a sign that perhaps her devotion has not gone unnoticed. With renewed determination, she rises from her knees and walks out to the main room of this cavern. Having completed her fervent prayer, the half-elf knew it was time to address the situation concerning Sovendal. She grabs a carved horn, tucked under her robes, its time-worn surface cool to her touch, and as her fingers make contact with the horn, she utters an incantation under her breath, sending a magical message echoing through the caverns. Moments later, the sound of heavy footsteps echo from the passage beyond, growing louder with each passing second. The rhythmic clank of armor and the occasional scrape of metal and stone heralds the arrival of the guard she has summoned. The guard who enters the chamber is a formidable figure, standing tall and imposing. He's a human male with a chiseled jawline and a stern countenance. His armor, wrought from darkened steel, bears a symbol of Talus engraved upon the breastplate, a testament to his unwavering devotion to the Stormlord. Strapped across his back, a gleaming battle axe, a weapon ready to be drawn at a moment's notice. With a respectful bow, the guard addresses the half-elf, his voice steady and unwavering. Mr. Skadril, you have summoned me. What is your bidding? Gadril meets his gaze with her emerald eyes, determination gleaming in her gaze. I require Sovendal's presence here, immediately. Fetch him and bring him to me without delay. Tell him it is of the utmost importance. The guard nods, the stern lines of his face showing no hint of emotion. As you command, Mistress Gedril, Sovendal shall be brought before you swiftly. With that he turns on his heel and leaves the cavern, his heavy footsteps receding to the darkness of the passageway. Gedril watches him go, a mind filled with thoughts of the conversation to come. She knew that tonight, Within the depths of the Thundercliffs, she would temporarily rid herself of Sovendal, for a few days at least. Sovendal Erkins, a drow warrior of cunning and elegance, lounges in his quarters deep within the Thundercliffs, within a chamber hewn from the rock itself, the walls adorned with crude carvings depicting scenes of naval combat and treacherous waters. The ambient light filtering in from a few strategically placed braziers give the room an eerie, subterranean glow. He reclines in a hammock fashioned from woven spider silk, his life frame suspended in the air like a predator at rest, his obsidian skin common amongst the drow, contrasts sharply with his pristine white hair which cascades down his shoulders in elegant, gleaming waves. His angular face bears the sharp features characteristic of his kind, 
and his crimson eyes gleams with intelligence and ambition. As he relaxes, his bodyguards work diligently around him, sorting for the latest haul of stolen and salvaged treasure. Gems, jewellery and artefacts lay scattered on a nearby table, their allure casting shimmering reflections across the room. The air here is thick with the scent of ancient relics, a musty mix of leather, metal and incense, creating an atmosphere of intrigue. Amidst the treasure, Sovendal's thoughts are interrupted by a heavy knock on his chamber door, a stark contrast to the subtle intrigue that usually permeates his private quarters. He sits up abruptly, his crimson eyes narrowing in suspicion as he calls out, Enter! The guard who had been summoned by Gadriel stands at the entrance, clad in his darkened steel armor of Talus's faithful, his gaze unwavering, his purpose clear. Sovendal Lurkins, Mistress Gadriel requires your presence immediately. It is a matter of great importance. Sovendal's brows furrow as he pushes himself out of the hammock, his slender fingers clutching at the silken robe that hangs nearby. As he rises, a sudden coughing spasm overtakes him. <coughs> he brings a gloved hand to his lips, and as he withdraws it, he notices that it is smeared with a dark stain of blood. He quickly composes himself, hiding his concern behind a veneer of indifference. Very well. His voice betraying nothing. I shall attend to her request immediately. He turns to his guards, while casting worried glances in his direction. Worry not, my comrades. I shall return soon. With measured steps, Sovendal follows the guard out of his chamber, leaving behind the allure of treasure and the scent of ancient relics, embarking on the short journey within the depths of the Thundercliffs, with the storms now rage and where loyalties are tested in the name of Talos. Sovendal follows the guard through the twisting passageways of the Thundercliffs, his crimson eyes searching for any hint of what might have warranted the surgeon's summons. Soon they reach Gadril's quarters, and he was met with the sight of the half-elf, her robe swaying gently as she turns to face him. Mr. Gadril. Sovendal inclines his head in a courteous nod, acknowledging her presence. You summon me. How may I be of service? Gadril's emerald eyes locks onto his, and she greets him with a faint, deceptive smile. Sovendal, thank you for coming. Your presence is much appreciated. The guard, having fulfilled his duty, steps aside and exits the chamber, leaving Sovendal to focus on Gadriel's words. The half-elf wastes no time in getting to the heart of the matter. I've heard troubling rumours, she says as her tone carries a sense of urgency. I hear that the sea hags have gone without deliveries for some time. I've also heard it being said that Moesco hasn't brought down any new ships, and that the light atop of his tower of storms has mysteriously gone out. Sovendal's expression grows more serious as he processes the implication of Gadril's words. You suspect that these events might be more than mere coincidence? He ventures, seeking clarity. <coughs> he reaches for his mouth again with his gloved hand, revealing more blood. I'm going to roll a sleight of hand here to see if Gadril notices this. While Sovendal tries to hide behind his impression of confidence, Gadril takes a deep breath and lets out a sigh-breaking smile before nodding solemnly. Yes, Sovendal. I've been praying to Talos, and I believe that our master wishes to investigate the Tower of Storms before it becomes a larger problem for our operations. The storms are our power, and if that tower remains unlit, it threatens to disrupt the very essence of our devotion. Sovendal absorbs this information, his crimson eyes reflecting a sense of understanding and of readiness. I'll see to it immediately, he declares his voice firm. 
The Tower of Storms is compromised. We cannot allow it to persist. The Wrath of Talos must be restored. I will leave tonight. With a final nod to Gadriel, Sovendal turns and makes his way back the winding passageways, leaving her to her thoughts and prayers as he embarks on this new mission in the name of the Tempidus God. Sovendal returns to his quarters, where his loyal guards await, tending to the treasure that adorns his chamber. Among them, he chooses three stalwart companions to accompany him on the mission Gadriel has requested. He picks three whose loyalty and skill are unquestioned. The first among them is Lyrell, a fierce and agile elf, her ebony hair flowing like a waterfall down her back. Her elven features sharp, and her emerald eyes gleam with determination. She's known for her expertise in archery, and her uncanny ability to navigate treacherous terrain. The second, the second is Godim Stonehammer, a stout and formidable dwarf with a grizzled beard and piercing grey eyes. His powerful frame and unyielding demeanour making him a formidable presence in any battle. Gorim is skilled in the ways of heavy weaponry, and his loyalty to Sovendal is unwavering. The third of their group is Talia Whisperwind, a graceful and enigmatic tiefling with horns that curl delicately from her temples, her fiery red hair framing her striking features and her eyes hold a hint of mischief. Talia is renowned for her magical prowess, particularly in the arts of illusion and charm. Each of them had proven themselves as formidable and devoted followers of Talos, and loyal to Sovendal. With the group assembled, Sovendal briefs on the mission, explaining Gadril's concerns about the Tower of Storms and the potential threat it poses to their operations. He emphasized the need to find Moesco and to restore the Tower's light so as to ensure the continued wrath of Talos. Lyrell got him, and Talia nod in understanding. The resolve unwavering. The preparations for the journey were swift and efficient, as they gathered supplies including food, water and torches, knowing that the journey ahead could be arduous and possibly dangerous. But Moesco is a powerful anchorite. Each member of the group checks their weapons and armour, ensuring that they're in prime condition for the task at hand. And so Sovendal and his companions make their way to the base of the cliffs, where a rowboat awaits them. With oars in hand, they set off into the dark waters, rowing for about half an hour until they reach a secluded beach. Here they ascend the cliffs using a stairwell carved into the very rock itself, as their footsteps echo in the eerie silence of the night. After a short while they reach the high road, and they set a brisk pace towards the Tower of Storms, their senses sharp and alert. The night now fills with a distant rumble of thunder, a reminder of the tempestuous power of Talos, the god that they serve. With each step, they draw closer to their destination, determined to fulfill their mission and investigate the Tower of Storms. After an eight-hour trek for the night, Sovendal and his companions reach the cliff tops by the Tower of Storms at the break of dawn. Here they are met with a winter morning that carries a biting chill in the air. Dark clouds hang low in the sky, heavy with the promise of an impending storm. A brisk wind sweeps across the rugged landscape, carrying with it the scent of salt and the distant crash of waves against the rocky shore. As they make their way, their hushed conversations turn to the topic of Gadril's methods. Lyrell speaks with a hint of unease in her voice. You've heard the rumors, haven't you? She asks as her gaze flits to her companions. Gedril's cruelty in determining with those she deems unworthy is infamous. Gorham the dwarf nods gravely. Aye, I've heard tell of it. I've also heard whispers of an alcove to the north of her room. They call it the blowhole. It's said to be a vertical shaft running both beneath the water and up into the cave ceiling. Talia shivers slightly at this mention. 
Rumors say that Wingadriel believes a cultist lacks the proper faith to be a true servant of Talos. They're dragged to the blowhole and tossed into the open waters to be judged by the sea itself. As they continue talking amongst themselves, before them atop a weathered outcrop stands a stone building surmounted by the lighthouse tower, a solitary sentinel standing watch over the treacherous waters below. The stonework bears the scars of countless storms, a testament to the bravery of those who manned it and the relentless power of the sea. They notice that the tower's light is gone. She was right, Sovendal says. The light is gone. Something must have happened to Moesco. This, this is most unlike him. As they gaze upon the Tower of Storms, they can't help but feel a mixture of awe and trepidation, for this is a place where the forces of nature are both revered and feared, a constant reminder of the tempestuous might of Talos. Beyond the tower, the masts of several sunken shipwrecks protrude from the water like skeletal fingers, the remains of ill-fated vessels. The descent down the cliffs is facilitated by a narrow fissure where a staircase has been carved into the rock. This narrow passage seems to wind its way endlessly downwards as the echoes of their footsteps mingle with the roar of the sea. The party continues the descent with their steps growing heavier as they make their way down the cliff. The haunting melody of an alluring song begins to echo through the jagged cliffs, starting first as a distant, enchanting hum, almost indistinguishable from the sound of the wind, but growing stronger with each step they take. The source of this ethereal music soon becomes apparent, as two harpies, the wings outstretched, are perched on a rocky ledge above them. These winged creatures, a twisted blend of beauty and malevolence, their feathered wings shimmering the dim light and their eyes gleaming with otherworldly allure. The siren-like voices weave a seductive melody that seems to tug at the very souls of Sovendal and his companions. Come closer, come closer. They sing in haunting harmony, their voices like a siren's call. Give in to the depths and surrender your fears. Come closer, come closer. Let the sea embrace you. Sovendal and his companions feel a strange compulsion to heed the harpy's songs their footsteps faltering as they're drawn closer to the perilous edge of this staircase. I'm going to roll a wisdom saving throw for Sovendal and each member of his party. All but Gorim make their save as Gorim places a foot over the staircase and seems ready to plunge to his death below the cliffs. I'm going to roll for initiative. So first would be Sovendal followed by Lyrell, then the two harpies, then Talia, and lastly Gorim. Sovendal, seeing what's happening, reaches an arm out and tries to grapple Gorim. He manages to hold onto him. What are you doing? Cover your ears! As he grapples Gorim with one arm and tries tucking his head into his chest so that he can no longer hear the voice, Lyrell draws her bow and takes aim at one of these harpies, which he manages to hit with an arrow piercing one of its wings. She lets out a cry as she takes five piercing damage. It's now over to the two harpies and they swoop down and try to shove Sovendal and Gorim off the stairwell. Both attacks fail as Sovendal just manages to duck pulling Gorim down with him and with that they use the rest of their movement to move away from the cliff's edge and whilst I would provoke an attack of opportunity from Sovendal his attention is firmly on Gorim as he pulls him from the edge towards the safety of the cliff's wall. Let them go. 
We'll deal with them when the time comes. On we go. The tower's just there. Gorham snaps out of his trance. Aye, thank you for that. I'm not sure what overcame me there. And he thanks Sovendal for saving him from certain doom. With their enchanting song thwarted, the harpies screech out in frustration and anger. Looking over their shoulders as they fly back towards the nest, their beautiful visages contorted into grotesque masks of rage. They beat their wings furiously as they continue to the outcrop upon which stands the Tower of Storms and their nest. Now reaching the foot of the cliffs, Sovendal and his companions approach the tower, navigating the winding path that leads up to the rocky promontory. The path is narrow and steep, with jagged rocks jutting out from the ground like crooked fingers, the sea crashing against it, sending spray and foam high into the air. Sovendal approaches the tower's door, which is made of heavy timber, weathered by salt spray and years of exposure to the elements. It creaks with a groan, revealing a spiral ramp that winds its way to the top of the tower. The atmosphere inside is damp and musty, filled with a scent of salt and decay, and as they light some torches, they cast eerie shadows amongst the weathered stone walls. There's been trouble afoot here. I've been at this tower before, and that ramp is one of Moesco's traps. <coughs> it's one of Moesco's traps to slow down the intruders. There should be a stairwell there. Search this floor before we climb up to the altar. As they search and explore, the ground floor is largely barren, with only the remnants of old supplies and equipment strewn about. Empty crates and barrels lay scattered, their contents long since depleted. The air inside hangs heavy with a weight of mystery. I'm going to roll an investigation for Sovendal and his companions with advantage rather than rolling an investigation check for each of them. So I'll just roll once with advantage. See what they can determine from the scene that they find themselves in. As they continue searching, their eyes do catch something intriguing on the stone floor. An array of footprints, faint but distinct, suggesting recent activity within the tower. The tracks seem to lead towards the ramp, but also towards the main door. Two sets, one that appears human-sized, and another smaller, perhaps like that of a child, hinting at the possibility of further discoveries. Lyrell approaches Sovendal, a voice carrying a note of caution. There's evidence of recent foot traffic here, Sovendal. These prints are only a few days old. I think somebody has been here recently. Gorham ever vigilant, adds. Aye, there's no sign of forced entry or struggle. Seems whoever ventured in here did so willingly, or without resistance. We should proceed cautiously, Sovendal. The mystery deepens. Sovendal nods, his crimson eyes narrowing in thought. Very well. We'll continue our search and follow these tracks. There may be answers upstairs within the tower. Stay alert, my friends, for we tread in the footsteps of the unknown. Sovendal's fingers deftly trace the banister, where he finds a discreet, unassuming button hidden amidst the stone carvings. With a firm press, there is a low, grinding noise that resonates throughout the tower, and the spiral ramp that had been ascending gradually transforms into a spiral staircase, the stone slabs shifting and aligning, one at a time, to form a clear path upwards. Sovendal and his crew ascend the newly formed staircase, their steps echoing in the confined space. And as they reach the floor above, they step out onto the open area where Moesco's altar to Talus stands. It's a large and imposing structure, several feet tall and wide, hewn from rough stone, encrusted with salt, seaweed and barnacles, as if it had been forged from the very depths of the ocean itself. 
its surfaces adorned with rough carvings depicting lightning bolts, thunderclouds, and crashing waves, all symbols of Talos's fury. However, what catches their immediate attention is that the metal rod embedded into the stone altar, a conduit for channeling lightning from the storms above, had been snapped off, rendering it useless. Sovendal's brows furrow with concern as he surveys the broken altar. He turns to his companions, his crimson eyes reflecting a sense of foreboding. Hmm. The altar is broken. There's no sign of Moisco. His voice tingles with worry. This... This is not a good omen. <coughs> he clears his throat and lets out a heavy sigh. He composes himself and then raises his voice, shouting out to the harpies that had accosted them with their alluring song. Harpies! He calls out, the words echoing across the roof. We offer you a chance to speak. Tell us what happened here, and we may spare you from the wrath of Talos. I'm going to roll for intimidation from Sovendal. It's a total of 17. The wind carries his words over the treacherous waters below, and the crew waits in tense anticipation, hoping for answers to the mysteries that surround the broken altar and the absence of Moesco. After a tense moment of waiting, the harpies respond to Sovendal's call. They soar through the sky, the wings carrying them above the crew, who ready their weapons, uncertainty in their eyes. In a commanding voice, Sovendal shouts, Speak the truth and Talos may spare you. The harpies hover above, the voices trembling with fear and urgency as they begin to explain what they have witnessed. Moisco slain. One of the harpies begins, a melodic voice quivering. It was a bald halfling with a fiery red mustache. He turned into a bear and he had companions. A human warrior and a short fat one who could cast magic. The second harpy chimes in a voice mirroring the fear in her eyes. They battled Moesco fiercely and he was killed down at the shore after falling off the roof with a bear. They then ascended the tower. The human, he fired his bow into the beacon, striking Moesco's heart and destroying it. They fed his heart and his corpse to the sharks. The first harpy continues. They spent the night in the cave below and when dawn broke, they ascended the cliffs and left. With this revelation, someone nods. His expression one of concern. Thank you for your honesty, he says sternly, his voice carrying the weight of his authority. You may go, but heed this warning. If we discover that you have deceived us in any way, you will face a fate far worse than death. The harpies beat their wings and soar back to the nest, leaving Sovendal and his crew to ponder the unsettling fate of Moesco and the mysteries that still loom over the Tower of Storms and the treacherous waters below. A halfling that turns into a bear. I'd heard word of some halfling druid causing trouble for the orcs. I believe he was wanted by them. Gadrell is not going to be pleased. We will need to avenge Moesco's death. But first we must return with our findings and receive our next orders. And that's where we're going to call it a session. Hope you've enjoyed tonight's episode. It's been a little bit different. Can't help but feel I've been a little bit like Smeagol here in the studio all alone today. Definitely been missing Big Al, as I'm sure no doubt you all have too. But we thought it was important to not miss out an episode or, you know, to give you a fella made up of cuts from previous episodes, sort of giving you the story so far. And so this gives you a little bit of insight into the living world that we play in and how the actions of our heroes can have wider effects and implications on the world at large. So if you want to hear a bit more about tonight's episode, you can head on over to www.i2td.com. There you can follow the link to our Buy Me A Coffee page, where 
where you can subscribe to one of our membership tiers and gain access to our Into the Studio episodes. These are bonus mini-podcast episodes where we reflect on the sessions we've just played, so I'll be heading over there now, after this episode, to reflect a little bit on, on tonight's session. So if that sounds like something you'd like, head on over to our Buy Me A Coffee page. Whilst you're there, you can also buy us a potion, which will appear as an in-game item, or you can visit our store where you can make one-off purchases for magical items and potions and scrolls, and it's an opportunity for you to become part of the stories we tell because your item will appear in-game and influence the stories that we are telling. And if you can't donate or make a purchase, but you still want to support the podcast, you can certainly do so by liking the episode, sharing, commenting, giving us a rating on your podcast player of choice, if you're one of those that listen to us on YouTube, by subscribing and sharing the links. We really appreciate every little help we get. Here's where we would normally have our Twitter Twitter section, and although we did have a, a post asking for some comments and for, for some stories. I think it's best that we leave that for next week when Al will hopefully be back in the studio with me and we can go over those together. And so this brings us on to the end of the episode club, the last one standing. This is episode 53 and as I keep saying by now you should know what this game is. It's an opportunity to compete for the esteemed title of the Guillermo's Ferrada. We give you a password and you can use it in the comments on Twitter or Instagram, YouTube or on our Discord channel. It shows us that you have the highest constitution and have made it all the way through to the end of the episode. Make us laugh, make us cry, make us go, huh? What was that? We review all comments received and determine the winner for this week's Gijamas Ferrada. And today's password is winging it. Little throwback to the harpies, and because I've winged tonight's episode in some ways. So anyway, without any further ado, I bid you farewell and hope to see you next time as we delve into the dungeon. <laughs>